Hello, this is Brad Redderson, and welcome to Sternova's Interview Series, an audio program exploring the intersection between cutting-edge business strategies and the innovations that can ignite business growth. It's one of several podcast series on the subject of strategic innovation in business offered by Sternova, a resource group dedicated to helping you achieve and capitalize on the incredible potential available for your own business. With our over 30 years of experience leading innovation, we know what it takes to turn ideas into profits. Please visit us to learn more at www.stranova.com. And now, please join us for this week's episode of Stranova's Interview Series. How often have you heard the words, don't worry, it's just water? Sure, the phrase comes up probably most often after somebody accidentally dumps a glass of the stuff in your lap, and so it's just water may indeed be the right thing to say then. And when you think of water, it's probably more about either keeping out of it when it rains, making sure enough of it sprinkles on your plants and yard to keep them alive, or swimming in it when on vacation. The reality, however, is that this amazing substance, constructed out of a molecular fabric with two hydrogen atoms bonded to one oxygen atom as its basic building block, is far more than just water, and is deserving of entrepreneurial attention as the latest software breakthroughs, telecom technology, or even alternative energy sources. Why it is so important starts with, of course, the understanding of how water and water cycles are so much part of our living ecosystem. Water covers the majority of the Earth's surface, and many species, including ourselves, have water as our own single biggest building block. But there's much more than that as well. Water is critical to living systems' means of maintaining body temperature, to the processing of our food, to the elimination of our waste, and to distributing nutrients throughout all parts of the living world. And even its unusual characteristics of powerful surface tension, and that it floats within warmer water when frozen, have been shown to be critical both to how life began on our planet, as well as in sustaining the incredible varieties of life that populate both the lakes and ocean waterways, as well as all of our environment. In our modern world, this stuff we know as just water is also critical to how we live as well. On a personal level, we use immense quantities of it to keep ourselves, our clothes, our homes, and our cars clean. We also dump even larger quantities outside on the ground as we attempt to grow grass and other foliage, sometimes in environments where they really never were intended to grow in the first place because the plants never existed where we live now. Water is, of course, used in similar ways in business, adding further to the burdens of how much water is needed worldwide. In addition, virtually every manufacturing, harvesting, and distribution process involves high levels of water use as well for cleaning, rinsing, irrigation, lubrication, and other applications. Even our beloved technology gadgets that surround us and are, even now, collaborating to bring this podcast to you, wherever you are on this planet, depend on and consume immense amounts of water as they are birthed, integrated, and distributed. As just one data point in this area, a recent study published in Waterworld, a journal focused on the use and management of water in the industrial community, noted that a single 8-inch semiconductor wafer may require as much as 2,000 gallons of what is known as ultra-pure water to, as they say, bring it to the necessary level of cleanliness, 
a standard that is growing even more critical as microelectronics grow more and more dense every day. The Semiconductor Equipment and Materials International Group, also known as SEMI, noted that some 173 million of these 8-inch wafers were manufactured in 2007. That means that semiconductor producers around the world have used as much as 346 billion gallons of such ultra-pure water just last year, and demand is growing. Fortunately, there are entrepreneurial ventures that are working on how to ensure we will continue to have all the water we need worldwide. One of the most innovative and systemic of these is what is called the Kinrot Incubator, perhaps the only formal business incubator in the world dedicated solely to issues associated with managing the extraction, cleanliness, movement, and preservation of water in every aspect of our lives. The company, based in Israel and located on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, provides its entrepreneurs with a package of funding and support to help make it through the early stage of development, at which time it hopes to move the ventures to further second-round funding opportunities and eventual public launch. It was founded in 1993 as part of Israel's unique incubator program, which provides government loans for as much as 85% of the investments. It was privatized in 2006 by Stern Partners from Vancouver, Canada. To tell us more of the story and vision of Kinrat, we are pleased to have Mr. Asaf Barnia, the CEO of the Kinrat Incubator. As with any true visionary, Mr. Barnia brings with him an unusual background of his own including four years as Director of Business Development of Converse, a global telecom provider, the role of founder and board member of CardioSense, a medical device startup, and the commercial manager of WaTech, the Entrepreneurship and Partnership Center for Water Technologies at Mekorot, Israel's national water company. He holds degrees in law and business from the interdisciplinary centers in Herzliya and political science and psychology degrees from Tel Aviv University. He also happens to be the only entrepreneur we've interviewed to date who also played basketball as a major contender on the college circuit at Seton Hall in the United States and as a member of the Israeli national basketball team. We spoke with Mr. Barnia at his offices in Tel Aviv, Israel. Asaf, welcome to Stranova. Thank you. I'm happy to be here and to join your show. Well, I appreciate it very much. Asaf, the center of everything you do is water. And there is a phrase that you mentioned when we were initially discussing this, which is a lot of people describe water as, well, it's just water. You know, when you spill it on yourself, it's just water. And even in the United States, where the bottled water industry has gone crazy, actually, if you could charge what we charge for bottled water, you'd be making a great deal of money over here. But the rest of the world seems to understand it's more of the stuff of life. So with that as a background, I know for you, just water is not exactly the way you think about it. So could you tell us a little bit about the way you perceive the value of water in the world and why what you're doing is so important? Well, first of all, basically I claim there's no such thing as just water. And this is a perfect example that you mentioned before, Brad, about you know, spilling water over someone's shirt and everybody saying, ah, no worries, you know, this is just water, so nothing will happen. 
but that's the thing water within itself it looks transparent it looks clean that it can do everything you can clean it with it but when you get to water technologies and when you get to the status of the planet in terms of pollutions in terms of the scarcity of water you have to have a lot of technologies and when you go into technologies which should address those needs of countries and states and populations in, in scarcities areas that even in Europe we have a lot of water but most of the rivers are polluted you get into water technologies and this is water technologies this is where it starts to be fun this is where it starts to be interesting at least on my end as a business person who's looking into investment in the water market basically if you look into various fields I'll give you just an example of how to detect those little particles within the water we've been talking about water security for instance water securities and the al-qaeda and other threats of deliberately polluting water water sources so how you detect those little particles within the water how do you know do you have a laser that is looking into those particles and really identifying them and where you stop transforming water to the population in this city or another so you have to have those protocols and be aware of what should be done once something was found and this is just an example of you know water quality issue and water desalination each and every specific field within the water market has tremendous amounts of technologies which are related to that and therefore it's a huge huge market this is 25% of the total water market which is considered to be 400 billion dollar market so water technologies within themselves considered to be over 100 billion dollar market and this is a tremendous number i mean if you go into a vc as an investor is looking for water deals but any other investors and entrepreneurs who are looking into a vc and they approach a vc and basically you know the familiar question would be you know show me the market and let me know what's the size of the market you have to to show at little bit at least like a billion dollar market and this is where they start talking with you and here all of the sudden you talk about water technology market it is not a billion market which is okay to start with but rather over 100 billion dollar market part of the 400 on 450 some estimation of the total water market the fifth largest market on the earth but having said that this is not just the numbers water is basically the source of living in micro electronics and definitely for drinking but in so many other fields that we simply have to have those water running from food and beverages and technologies which are relevant to food and beverages industries and to the desalination into wastewater treatment plants and to other places so whatever we do and Thomas Friedman was talking about the world is flat and about globalization and urbanization but you cannot do anything unless you have water in this specific area no matter what technology you will have no matter what cell phone you're going to use you will not be able to do much if there's no water on well, it is a surprise to a lot of people you yourself mentioned that even a company like Intel is investing in water technology projects and people say when they think about that that doesn't make sense to me is that just something they're doing on the side with some of the excess cash and the billions that they're making and uh, maybe you could talk even a little bit about that why is that so relevant well basically purified water are needed in a lot of the processes that we are doing in various technologies and in various plants that we simply manufacture various technologies so this is not just the food and beverages or the microelectronics but also basically this is a perfect example of what currently everybody has been talking about the water industry and so many investors are looking into the water industry VCs and private equity but they are very cautious because they don't really see as you mentioned as your question basically describes that they don't really see their expertise and their know-how and their connections getting or merging with those 
industries that all of a sudden now they are listening to and they hear about them, wastewater treatment plants and about desalination and membranes and sensors to detect pollution that will spill into the water. So basically, I think that till will investors and private equity will feel a little bit more comfortable and will bridge the gap between this understanding and their own market or the market that they are coming from, whether it will be microelectronics or something else, this is and only that that time will happen that they will feel a little bit more comfortable to invest into water technologies once this synergy will be better understood. Well, your own role in bringing this to the fore as an important part of some of the technologies that Israel in particular is pioneering comes from the very earliest days of this. I know that you worked with the government and setting priorities for this and actually getting involvement. Can you talk a little bit about that as your background? Sure, sure. Basically, to them, I'm the CEO of the first water incubator in Israel. An incubator, a technological incubator, is a place. We have 24 incubators in Israel, but basically, I'm a seed investor. I'm investing into water projects. I'm looking into IP from the Transfer Technology Institution, whether in the Weizmann Institution, which is a very well-known know-how and recognition, and whether it could be in other academy institutions or various entrepreneurs or private entrepreneurs. But basically, I'm doing seed investment into those projects and bringing them into my incubator, giving them the umbrella and the services, managerial and accounting services, for at least two years of operation within the incubator, hoping that after that they will step out and the private market will invest with VCs and private equity that will invest. But in these two years, the government basically subsidized 85% of the fund for each specific project. And we, as the private owner of the incubators, and my group from Canada, from the Canadian group, Stern's group, Stern Partners, we completed those matching funds. So this is what I do today. I invest as a seed investor in water technologies. But prior to that, I established what is called WATEC, the Entrepreneurship and Partnership Center for Water Technologies within Mekarot. Mekarot is the national water company in Israel. And that was some four, four and a half years ago. And my previous background was in high tech, in the telecom industry. And I came in all of a sudden into this government company, utility company, with that specific culture of not so much into the business and not so much into the opportunity itself of how to make money in the water industry. And my role was to establish the Entrepreneurship and Partnership Center, which basically was a platform for the business development activity for the first time of MECOT, the National Water Company. Now, just to give you an example of how to take a company which was established 70 years ago, even prior to the establishment of the State of Israel, which was established 60 years ago, and now this... The water company existed yes. before the State yes, of Israel? Yes, it was existed in a specific form, but that's the water company in Israel. And the know-how which was aggregated throughout the years, for instance, Brad, they never submitted a patent. I came over their PhDs and experts in water desalination, in wells drilling, in water management, and you have so many engineers and know-how which was never commercialized into any IP, into any patents. It took me two years to sit on the board of Mekorot in every meeting that I had, and I told them, let's submit some patents and let's license those patents. Let's do business. Let's do money from the know-how that you have. So this is what I did a little bit also in Mekorot. Basically, I helped and I established the business model of taking equity within startup companies who came to Mekorot to do beta testing on Mekorot installation. And they came over, those startup companies came over in order to address Mekorot's needs. So it was not just for the sake of certification, like you would go to Nokia and certify your product for in the telecom industry. 
that was addressing technological needs within Mekorot, coming in as a startup company, but also the global business development with companies such as Siemens Water and the PUB in Singapore, as well as with VCs and, and incubators, such as my own incubator today. The idea was to commercialize technologies and to commercialize know-how and expertise. I'm curious a little bit about the structure of this. Let's just talk about the financing. You mentioned 85% of the funding the Israeli government helps put up. What does the Israeli government get in return when this all goes forward? Well, this is the business model within the incubators in Israel, basically, which now is being duplicated in many other places worldwide. Basically, the idea of incubators started in 1991 in order to address the immigrations who came from Russia. So that was basically a platform to host them and to nest them and to give them a place to work. But everything changed some three, four years ago with the privatization process that those incubators which were handled under the chief scientists in Israel were privatized by private investors, by VCs and private equity companies. And now the idea is basically that we invest in them together. I wear another hat like I'm a trustee of the government because I'm doing the investment once those projects were validated. And basically, the private incubator is giving the matching funding of 15%, which is at a minimum $100,000, and the government is giving $400,000 for each specific project for two years of operation. Talking about the equity, it's a loan that the government gives. Once the company was able to raise additional money and is able to give back the loan to the government, this is where the government steps out. So if there's a failure, it was on the government. So it's a leverage that private investors look into that and they see that the most of the risk has been handled by the government for 85%. And this is a perfect mechanism where they could put in only 15% and hoping for the best. So this is basically the idea and the business model behind it. It's a loan to the government. If there's a success, then you give it back and that's that. The equity stays within the company or within the investors. If there was a failure and you wind off the company, so this is where the government simply assumed the risk and lost those fundings. That's quite a model. Definitely something that... Uh, <laughs> I don't think we can convince people in the United States to do that. I think if we didn't have those technologies and the incubator program did really well, we had some companies, actually I wrote an article about it in the paper some two weeks ago, that it's a perfect mechanism and some companies or projects or IPs and patents, they didn't get any chance in the private market. They were looking into VCs and looking into private equity and into angels investment and they simply could not raise the first round of financing, the seed investment. And they were wondering for months and months, sometimes even for a year or two, till finally they were admitted into one of those incubators. And within those incubators, they transformed and started to commercialize their technologies to complete the R&D and to commercialize their technologies and became magnificent companies. So that was the only mechanism that really accepted them and gave them the first opportunity. So... What you do with the incubator is, of course, physically bringing capital into it. You also provide a filtering process to help decide which should go forward. What other types of services do you provide along the way in helping guide some of these emerging startups that maybe have a great idea but probably could use a little bit more nurturing? Hmm. Actually, this is what I like about my role as the CEO of the incubator. It's a junction where you first basically materialize a company. You take an entrepreneur who doesn't have any other idea, but this is the only one idea that he may have in his life, and he sees everything in that potential. He has all his energies and motivations and even a lot of fears within this specific pattern that he may have. 
And all of a sudden, you need to build a company, build an advisory board, build a board, maybe appoint someone else. Maybe the entrepreneur himself shouldn't be the CEO, but rather just the CTO of a company. And basically structuring the articles of association. This is what we do. We serve as a platform. We serve as an umbrella for later on, for once those companies were established within the incubator, we give them the accounting services. We escort them on the business side. We escort them on the legal side. We escort them on the IP side. And we open up the doors for them with global partnership. For instance, my incubator has a strategic partnership with the National Water Company in Israel. In Mekorot. So, for instance, the relationship that we have with the National Water Company in order to, for instance, open up the door and, and use one of their installations for better testing for one of my portfolio companies is a great value for such a startup company. Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to get into a large company, and specifically in this very conservative market. The water market is very, very conservative. If you would go to a municipality, if you go to a water utility, for them to test and to think about cost saving, cost reduction, and all of that, because a lot of, on a global basis, a lot of those companies are still government companies, and they are not looking into cost reduction so much they don't need to, as opposed to private companies. This is why they maintain most of the time the technologies and the people, and they're not necessarily looking for innovations. And let's think about another example. Let's take an engineer who's been doing that for so many years, handling a water sensor. He's used to that while all of a sudden to bringing a new water sensor with a different user interface and to learn about it, a new model, a new manual for that. So a lot of the industries which have been talking about water and clean tech as a whole are considered to be a little bit conservative from various angles. And this is part of the value that my incubator, as well as other strategic partners, sometimes can help young embryonic companies to open up the door and to give a chance for a, such a company who's looking for the first beta site or the first potential customer to buy their technology. You are typically funding these groups also at a early stage. This is often their very first round of financing exactly. that they have other than bootstrapping. Mm-hmm. What kind of amounts of money do you typically provide to them when they're getting started? Well, basically the range of those seed investments within the incubators as a whole in Israel range between half a million dollars at the minimum for two years of operation up till a million dollars if it's a good company and if you trust the people in terms of time to market you think that this is really an opportunity to put more money and maybe to have on the spot instead of two or three people to have more people on board so you may invest a little bit close to a million dollars but this is basically the range at a minimum it will be half a million dollars which as I mentioned before 85% of that will be given by the government and the rest of the 15% will be given by the private owner of the incubator now on top of it if you want to go above the half a million dollars then the private incubator will give much more let's say $200,000 or $300,000 into a specific project which will be considered with a great potential and therefore could shorten time to market. And how much total capital do you have invested, both the government portion as well as those from the other parts of the investment? Well, basically today I have uh, five companies under my portfolio and can do you know a simple calculation, but I'm checking now at least 10 projects and I've already recommended to the chief scientists in Israel two more projects, so and another one or two are in the pipeline. So basically I'm looking to do, aside from those five companies, hopefully and to establish some three or four new startup companies till the end of the year. So that will be, let's say, around eight startup companies, which each, at the minimum, half a million dollars. So that could be money that we're generally talking about. Okay. And so when people think of investment funds, particularly when they're looking at them in the United States for VCs and all this, 
relatively speaking, a small operation, and yet it's the biggest operation of its kind in the world. I think the idea here is not the amounts of money, but rather the nature of those projects. Those projects are in a very, very embryonic stage. It could be simply a patent that needs to be developed. It could be just an idea. I've been meeting some entrepreneurs who merely come to me with an idea. And, you know, all of a the sudden they get the best water expert in Israel sitting on my advisory board and help me to screen those technologies and ideas and patents. So the VCs, most chances, maybe because of the hype in the water market currently today, maybe they will. And I know of, you know, a lot of VCs that I've been talking to, not just in Israel, but worldwide, feel that they have to have their first investment into the water market. But despite the hype, they are very, very cautious. I think the opportunity within the incubators in Israel, and talking about it possibly in other incubators as well, is the chance that those incubators do give to very, very embryonic stage, whereas the VCs and the private equities, maybe some angels will invest, you know, put half a million dollars into that. But for those projects, it is very, very hard to get the first half a million to a million dollar seed investment. Basically, they come with no prototype, they come with no management team, they come with lack of experience, in terms of marketing and sales on the global market. By the way, specifically in the clean tech, this is not the high tech, the telecom, where you have serial entrepreneurs who have been coming over and over again. The water market is pretty much unique in that sense that you have first-time entrepreneurs who are a little bit older than what we used to see from the telecom or the software industry, and they are coming for the first time an engineer who could be 50 or 60 years old who has this invention in his head for the last 10 years, and now everybody's talking about the water market and investment, and all of a sudden he feels that he has the chance, or all of a sudden, after so many years to explore and to commercialize his idea. So this is why it's a little bit different, and we have to address those uh, circumstances and characteristics because this is not the typical investment that VCs are doing. And I think this is also the uniqueness of my incubator, the ability to focus on one specific area and to give the advantages of knowing what could be done, knowing the pros and the cons of those projects, what could be leveraged, how should we look into the market and what the time to market will be look like. This is a lot of value once you focus on one area. And having said what I said before, it's a huge, huge area within itself, the water market. You're providing a lot of strategic advice, you're providing a lot of business advice and just pure operational management advice on all this. You also provide facilities, I understand as well, as the incubator is based around the Sea of Galilee, is that Yes, right? yes, yes. Actually, the water incubator is really almost on the shore. We're hoping to move to a very uh, closer area, even to the shore of the Sea of Galilee. So basically... The Sea of Galilee is the only one lake in Israel, unfortunately. And I have to say that this was part of that. Sometimes you don't see that the bed has the good side in that. But the scarcity in Israel helped us to develop so many know-how and expertise in order to address the scarcity of water. But going back to my incubator, we are based very close to the Sea of Galilee, which is the water source of Israel, and we are the water incubator in Israel. But we have those laboratories within the incubator. So for the first, let's say, proof of concept and the feasibility studies, they can do all of those within the incubators, in the incubator installation and laboratories. Later on, once it's a better stage product, they will go possibly to Meco or to other water companies, possibly to Europe and to the U.S. even, in order to start commercialize those technologies. Well, tell us a little bit about some of the companies that you have in your portfolio. I think people would be very interested in hearing. Whatever has to do with water, I'm willing to explore and to screen. So that would go from composite material membranes, which are a little bit more robust than 
ordinary membranes. For instance, when you're talking about high temperature and various chemicals in industries, those membranes should be more robust in terms of their ability to filter the water molecules and as well as some other applications that we're thinking about. But having said that, talking about a solution that I just brought into the incubator, which has to do with cyanuric acid in swimming pools. It turned out to be that swimming pools have been suffering from a cyanuric acid problem for many, many years, and there's no solution for that. And I just brought a company that has an interesting solution about cyanuric acid in swimming pools. What people do today in swimming pools, people just give up. When the swimming pool, all of a sudden, you put the chlorine tablets into the water, and after three or four months, all of a sudden, there's kind of a deadlock, and those chlorine tablets basically don't do what they need to do. And you see the germs and you see you spill the water from the swimming pool and you waste a lot of the water by doing that. So if that solution will be brought in, we, all of us on the planet, could save, only talking about that, there are 22 million swimming pools on the planet. So basically this is a huge, huge potential for such a solution. I have another company which is looking into the valve industry. So that could be a desalination plant or refineries or pharmaceutical plants. Most of the time, you are not aware of the status of the valve itself. So if you're a plant manager and the third floor of your plant, you have a valve which is partially open and you don't know the status of that, they brought an interesting application which sits on the valve and can detect wirelessly and simply send the status of the valve into the control room. And another interesting company named Aqua Digital, another portfolio company of mine, is doing digital metering. It has to do with whatever people are talking today about moving into a little bit more accurate technologies and looking even to detect leakage into pipes where you have, as an end user, you won't be able, the municipalities themselves are sometimes fail to detect a leakage of water when it's a small perfusion. Uh, the scalability of being able to detect those leakage in pipes with the metering today is sometimes problematic, especially when it's a very low volume. So this technology would be able to detect even very low volume of water which are being linked into the ground and by that also saving water. I'm also curious about how far along you think it will be before you'll begin to see these turn into real strong commercial potential. Sounds like you're still at the early stage even for your own vision of what's going on here. I am, I am. I have to admit that. I mentioned that before. It's a very conservative market, but this is not just that. I think the unique characteristics of those uh, technologies, we look into that this is not the software industry, that you simply can develop a software and test it within three or four months and uh, have some bugs which may have turned into features all of a sudden. And this could be really much faster time to market for other technologies or even the telecom and other technologies. This is a little bit more like the biotech and medical devices. Some has to do with the regulations, so not necessarily the FDA, but rather the EPA, if it has to do with water quality, if you're talking about various membranes and all of that. So you have to align your technology with the regulation. This is one thing. But the other is the better site itself. The better site which is needed, it is much longer than any software, any telecom or internet application. Because basically you have sometimes to wait between the summer and the winter and see in various temperatures and the soil may be different in the chemicals and if it's a wastewater treatment solution. So you need to see the various times it could be water from various sources coming in. You want to see your technology that is applicable to many types of water. So this is why those beta testing and the life cycle of those technologies till they get to the market 
is a little bit longer. And therefore, and unfortunately, I have to agree with you, Brad, this is a little bit frustrating because as an investors and to my shareholders as well, I would like to show not immediate results, but definitely the potential of those companies and hoping they will go into a better testing much faster than they could. But that's the industry and we have to understand its limitations. Incredibly interesting business idea that you have brought to life and with water that actually in my own consulting practice I talk about business ecosystems and one of the things that I emphasize is this isn't so much about trying to beat your competitor as it is to become essential to your ecosystem and you have the unique situation that water is essential to just about any business ecosystem. We may just not know it yet. <laughs> and so I'm sure a lot of our listeners would be extremely interested in learning more by coming to your website. And could you tell us where they could reach you if they'd like to learn more? Sure. The website is Kinerot, K-I-N-R-O-T. That's the name of the incubator, Kinerot.com. And this is my uh, water incubator. One more thing which I would like to emphasize, and this is also maybe to sum it up, Water, despite the things that we've been talking about, is not anymore into water collection. And this is something that I think that why helped to change this industry. It's not that we're looking simply for whatever is going to fall from the sky no more and hoping and praying that it will be more and more. This is not about the rain and collecting the rain, but rather about producing water. So it's not water collection, but rather water production. And water production is becoming just a matter of cost. So it's an economical situation more than anything now these days. And this is why the opportunity is so amazing. And the business models which are emerging today in the water industries are growing to adapt those unique characteristics of this specific market. But this is a market here to stay for many, many years, unfortunately. We've been talking a little bit about you know, globalization, a little bit about the various changes in terms of the markets themselves are going through. But definitely the way I see it, it's, it's not merely that, that Al Gore and this movie that everybody's been talking about, and even the Thomas Friedman movie, all of a sudden now, everybody's talking about clean tech and water and energy. And this is simply because it's here to stay for decades to come. And people start to acknowledge that, not just a necessity, but also for themselves as a business opportunity. And I've seen a lot of people, as myself, who have moved from the high-tech industry, all of a sudden acknowledging that opportunity and that stability which is expected in those companies which will grow to stay there for many years. It's not a hype. It's not in any application, like a ringtone application, which is an amazing industry and worth billions of dollars, but people are afraid that it's just a nice to have as opposed to must have technologies and needs that we as mankind have to address. Well, I would encourage the listeners to go ahead and check in to learn more and investigate that. And if you have an idea to float, I would suggest contacting our guest today. I really appreciate your help on the podcast and joining us, Asaf. Thank you very much. Thank you for hosting me. Thank you. It's a very different model than what most of us are used to, isn't it? From a pure investment standpoint, it's unusual to hear of such a public-private partnership, with in this case, 85% of the investment in risk covered by the national government. And this is far from an exception in Israel. It's the way the Israeli incubator program works in general. Even more unusual, if one of the companies invested in takes off, the Israeli government doesn't get a piece of the company. They instead see that their loan is paid off. That's it. Ah, but that is the paradox of this, isn't it? That the government actually receives far more than just its investment back. They get to see a carefully nurtured and critically needed business 
brought off the ground, and launched with a higher likelihood of success than perhaps it might have been in some other sort of investment environment. And the Israeli government gets to experience the results of such an important incubation on many fronts, in job growth and in development of technologies that are not just important for Israel's future, but for all of our futures as well. So as all of you listening to this think about what Mr. Barnia and the Israeli incubation approach have made possible in Kinrot, please do take a moment and think about what could be happening if the same model were to propagate to other countries who claim to be leaders in the advanced innovations for the future. And how could such models themselves be incubated and take root elsewhere? Quite a thought for all of us indeed, and the worldwide ecosystem of business and humanity itself. That's our show for this time, and thanks for listening. We thank you for joining us for this episode of Stranova's podcast series. If you'd like to learn more about Stranova's business services and the topics discussed in this week's episode, please visit us at www.stranova.com, write us at ideas at stranova.com, or visit our blog at blog.stranova.com. Our program materials are covered by a Creative Commons license, the Attribution Non-Commercial Non-Derivatives 2.5 license by Brad Redderson. And this is Brad Redderson inviting you to join us soon for a future audio program exploring where strategy and innovation intersect.